Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Eastertide, we are asking our Lord to teach us to pray. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, and in response, he gave them what is both one of the most simple and yet complete prayers. In the Didache, one of the earliest documents of the church from the second century, it simply instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Christians have devoted themselves to this prayer from our Lord ever since he first gave it, and we are going to ask him to teach us this spring through prayer. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Uh, Lord, we uh, are so grateful for this prayer that you've given to us, uh, that you uh, taught your disciples, as uh, Luke tells us. And uh, Matthew here uh, gives us uh, a beautiful, beautifully simple and yet in, uh, unbelievably uh, rich and complex uh, prayer. Uh, not the ostentatious prayers that demand uh, somebody look, but the simple prayers of faith. God, I pray that as we turn our attention to it, uh, that you would make us a people that delight to pray and to speak with you and uh, be with you. Uh, instruct us now, we pray. Amen. Right, so I'm going to begin this uh, by saying this, uh, and I don't think this will seem remarkable given the world we live in now, but the extent that people go to and have always gone to to get their political candidate in office is astounding. Um, in 1946, John F. Kennedy, it was his, the first time he was running for office. He was running for uh, Congress. And um, Boston, as you know, because it still is really largely this way, was dominated by two main sort of ethnic groups, the Irish and the Italians. Come on, people. Uh, maybe I didn't give you enough time. So um, he's, he's Irish. And uh, he's running for the Democratic primaries. And the Democratic primaries are just like they are here in Harrisburg. The Democratic primaries in Harrisburg and Boston at the time determine the general election. If you win the primaries, you, got the, you win the election. And um, he was running against a, um, another op- opponent. And he was Italian. His name was Joe Russo. I didn't ask Tony or Cindy if they're related, but they might, they might be. Um, so Kennedy's dad, Joe, paid another Joseph Russo, whose profession was as a custodian and had zero political ambition, to put his name on that ballot so that it would be a split, uh, split between two Joe Russos. And of course, John Kennedy won. Um, get this, okay? Lest you think this was something, you know, for the 40s. Uh, in 2010, a Republican trickster in Arizona got a bunch of homeless people to run for the Green Party to split the Democratic vote. You know, people that might lean green, they might kind of vote for these Green Party people. And so among them, among these homeless folk, were a tarot card reader with less than a dollar to his name who, who ran for the Green Party state treasurer. Um, there was a homeless man who went by Grandpa on the streets, and he was uh, recruited for the Green Party to run for the state Senate. 
um, there was a street musician who was rec uh, recruited to run for a seat on the Arizo uh, Arizona Corporation Commission. And you know what? It worked. Um, people tried to get these fake names off the ballot, and they didn't. They failed. And I, I think it just sort of begs this question, like, why do people go to such lengths to get their person in these positions? They're a certain person elected. And um, I think in some ways it's fairly simple, right? Um, at the heart of it is this deep desire to have a certain person elected who cares about the things you care about and who somehow has, is, or possibly has, some power to do something about it. They care about you, your well-being, the things you care about, and they will have some power to do something. Change the world. So we're going to look this Easter tide, which is the season between Easter and Pentecost, though almost every spring I'd go beyond Pentecost. I think it's going to stay within the frame. At the Lord's Prayer together. Um, prayer, which at its heart is simply talking with God, speaking with the Almighty, uh, is absolutely at the heart of Christian faith. I mean, the Christian faith says there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is only forever by grace alone. So you think of that thief on the cross who's told, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't do a single thing. Except he did pray, didn't he? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, this, the most simple act of faith is, Lord, save me. Prayer. At the heart of Christian faith, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, many of you know him, the great preacher in London during the middle part of the 20th century, said, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christians so much as our prayer life. The heartbeat of Christian life. Uh, I found this rather remarkable. Prayer is something that is done throughout the world by both the religious and the non-religious alike. Let me share with you a few statistics. In 2020, 71% of Americans said that they pray regularly. Um, I read that uh, one study said that 20% of agnostics and atheists say that they pray daily. Um, in 2004, a study found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes. And that same study said that 17% of people who say they don't believe in God still said that they pray regularly. Uh, in 2018, a man named Henry, as he was 64 years old, um, he was in this British poll, and he described himself as, a, as the skeptical side of agnostic. Um, and he told this British poll, I certainly wouldn't classify, classify myself as religious. But then he went on to describe that his nightly routine um, entailed kneeling down by his bed, reciting the Lord's Prayer, and then praying for his loved ones. I mean, prayer is just one of these things that sort of is not just in the heartbeat of Christian faith, but it's actually just sort of built into humanity which is crying out, God, save us, do something, act in this world. 
um, you've heard me probably say this before, but I think that the great questions of religion are not simply this, like, is God there? Though that's certainly one of them. But beyond that is, does he care? And is he able to do anything about what's going on? Does he care? Can he do something? Sort of the same drive that makes us long so much for our candidate to get in place. Um, prayer was really common in Jesus' day, too. Probably a lot of you know that. Um, it was really common for great teachers to teach their disciples how to pray. It's really a, a common thing for rabbis to do, to instruct others in how to speak to God. And so this morning we looked at uh, Matthew's account from Matthew chapter 6 of Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer to his disciples there in the Sermon on the Mount. But if we looked at Luke in Luke chapter 11, what we would see is that uh, his disciples come up to him and, he's, and they say, hey, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples? Because it was the expectation that your rabbi, your leader, your teacher would do this for you. They'd teach you how to pray. So in the coming weeks, we're going to look at the different petitions, the little sections of the Lord's Prayer. But this morning, I just want us to reflect on this little invocation. Our Father in heaven. That that's the beginning that Jesus tells us. That's how you should begin your prayer. That's how you should invoke God. And, and I want you to see, and I, ho I hope you'll see this fairly clearly, that in that simple invocation, our Father in heaven, what Jesus is saying is God cares immensely, and he's absolutely able. He's absolutely, he cares immensely, and he's absolutely able. So first, just our Father. Um, so the first thing we hear Jesus say is, this is how I want you to address God in your prayer. Our Father. This is who he is to you. And I think um, what I should acknowledge right now is that in, for many, many people, that's actually a very difficult thing to say. Um, for, many, for many reasons. Um, it might actually be one of the things that you find sort of repulsive about Christianity. Um, because many people, many of you likely have had very distant fathers, fathers that didn't seem to care, or maybe that left entirely. And you did not have a relationship, certainly not a caring relationship uh, with a father. The father wasn't maybe somebody who loved as you knew you needed to be loved. And so calling on God in this way, I know for many people just makes you bristle. You know, um, it brings up lots of memories of hurt. And so I think first I just want you to know this, that the Lord knows how broken all of our human relationships are. Every single one of our human relationships is not exactly how they are meant to be. None. And yet the Lord still invites us into this relationship with him. Because God as Father in the Bible um, is always a picture of intimate, caring love. It's always a picture of intimate, caring love. The Bible begins, of course, with God creating. He creates by speaking. But one of the things that we learn, and actually we heard this in Isaiah chapter 64, is that the Bible connects this idea of God as creator with God as father. Um, it says, O Lord, you are our father. We are the work of your hands. 
So God doesn't necessarily have like progeny in the way that male and female do, but he creates and he, everything comes out from him. And so first we learn that God is the creator and he creates with intention and he creates with care and he creates something and he puts it there and he puts something in there to be cared for. And what you learn as you look at Genesis chapter one is this is all very intentional and careful and well thought out. And it's, if God is if his father and as father, he's creator, he creates with care and intention. But in the Old Testament, we see this idea of uh, fatherly love also through actually his acts of redemption. One of the things that you can hear a few times, I'll just read one passage to you though, is that when he calls Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to himself, they're his children and, and he's their father. And he redeems them out from slavery in Egypt as their father who loves them. Again, um, Isaiah um, chapter 63 says, You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. Again, I want you to hear, though, that that connection of father is intentional care in the context of distress. He's your redeemer. He loves you perfectly. Um, he also saves them from all their distress. Exodus 4 tells us, this, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I said, let my son, uh, let my son go that he may worship me. And so in his great salvific act in the Old Testament... He is their father. He's going to give himself to them that they might be saved and they might be his children. Um, in the Old Testament, when God's people go astray, many of you know the stories of um, the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile. Um, well, one of the things that the Lord says is he's disciplining them as a father, his children, disciplines in love. But he also promises that he's going to care for them even in that context because he is a father to them. Jeremiah tells us this. I thought how I would set you among my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful heritage of all the nations. And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Intimate, loving care. At each one of these times when God is called father in the Old Testament, it's intimate, loving care. Um, he's creating out of care. He's redeeming out of love. Um, he's attentive to their needs and their cries for mercy when they are slaves in Egypt. And he goes to them and he cares for them and he brings them out. And he protects them as a father should. He disciplines them in love is what we learn. That they might follow him. And we see that in all of these examples through the Old Testament when God is called father. Um, and that would have been a completely radical idea in the Old Testament times. Okay, There, there weren't other gods that, that, that invited you to call them father in the same way. And yet, this is kind of remarkable. In the whole Old Testament, God is only called father 15 times. That's not really a lot when you think of how often God is mentioned by various names. And then something absolutely radical happens when you turn that page and you enter into the New Testament. By the end of the Gospel of John, of course, which is the last of the four Gospels, Jesus uses the term Father 170 times. 170 times. It is the way that Jesus speaks of God as his Father. And over and over again, it's not just the intimacy of fatherly love and care that we see in the Old Testament, but that fatherly love and care is unbelievably intimate. 
um, let me give you a couple examples to show this. Um, John, in John chapter 10, 10, says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the Father and I are one. Complete unity. Distinction with complete unity. Matthew chapter 11 says this. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Um, John 17 says this. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's just again and again, the idea is this perfect, perfect intimacy between Jesus and the Father. Complete knowledge, complete care, eternal love. Here's the really remarkable thing, though. Is this word, the word that begins the Lord's Prayer. Our. Our Father. Jesus doesn't say, pray like this. Jesus' Father their father, his father in heaven, he says, you pray to God, our father. And all along what he's been teaching them is this unbelievably intimate, caring relationship that he has with the father. It's theirs. Of course, he's hearkening back to this idea of how it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Creative care, redemptive love, uh, salvific attention, um, a discipline that's in love. All of this is contained in this calling, you know, uh, God the Father. But it's so much more than this. What Jesus shows us throughout the Gospels is that the relationship between the, the, the Son and the Father is so close. That he says, I and the Father are one. And he says, this is for you. God, far from being some distant God who you sort of wish might care about your life. He says, this is the most intimate love ever. Union. Our Father, you get to address God like this. Which is to say, he knows all the heartache you feel perfectly. He knows the doubts that swell up in your hearts. He knows the social anxiety that you might struggle with when you're singing in front of a bunch of people or whatever. He knows the pain of a body that doesn't work well. He knows how much you want to be married or have children. He knows your fear of death. He knows it all perfectly. And he cares. He does. He cares for you. But I think the second part of this little invocation actually gets at this second great question about religion, right? I'm, I'm suggesting to you that just the fact that it is our Father is Jesus saying, God cares for you immensely. That's the big question. If God is there, does he care? But the second question was, can he do anything about it? And I want to suggest to you that what we have is a big, big yes. Simply in that phrase, in heaven. That might seem odd. Because I think for a lot of us, we think of heaven as a really distant place. Um, but in some ways you could say, I mean, heaven isn't a place at all in the same way that we conceive of place. 
Um, I mean, the, the spiritual beings existed before creation, and this, this kind of place existence. Um, just like we could say that Father, in some ways, is a, is a metaphor for intimate, loving care. I mean, God invites us to actually name him that way, but certainly God is not gendered male and female. and um, He has, doesn't have sort of procreative uh, acts, biologically speaking. So it's sort of a strange way to speak about God. Well, he heaven is the place of God's dwelling, but I think you can also say that it exists beyond our time. Um, beyond our kind of place, be beyond our kind of, Ability, it's beyond us. Um, I mean, heaven can even allow us to speak of God's nearness. You know, Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always. Um, the scriptures tell us in him we live and we move and we have our being, which is to say presently in him we have those things. So it's outside of our sort of physical uh, reality. It's, dis it's distinct, and yet it can be close. Which is to say this, and this is important. God is not limited by our time. Nor does he keep a timetable and sort of a schedule like we do. Um, he's not limited by our calendars or our spaces or our agendas. Um, God, we see, is not limited by sort of created abilities and inabilities. In fact, what we see in some ways is the very opposite, at least partially, by Jesus in his incarnation. Um, Jesus sees some of the disciples while they were still far off, we're told. What's up with that? Uh, we see Jesus doing things that there's no ability to do in the context of our created norms. Uh, he heals the lame and the blind and all these kinds of things that are outside. Um, and his timetable is totally, totally different than ours. In fact, some of his friends get mad at him, right? Because Lazarus was dead, and then he took a little detour with this lady who needed help. And yet his time is outside of it. And yet his ability, when he gets there, is to raise the dead? One of the things that we know that he does away with, as we just heard our children sing, and as we celebrate in Eastertide, is he does away with the one thing other than taxes, this Tuesday, friendly reminder from your pastor, that is certain in life, death. And yet it's not certain, because God's existence is outside of the constraints of this life that we live in. Jesus is able to say to the Father, not my will, but yours be done, precisely because he's speaking to his Father in heaven who exists outside of this created norm and who we can trust completely because his ability is so far beyond anything he could imagine, anything you or I could imagine. His father, who knows perfectly and loves absolutely, who cares more than he could ever or we could ever imagine, he knows that he's entirely able. He's entirely able. That even if Jesus were to die, he would still be in the loving care of his perfect father who exists beyond this reality. He exists in heaven. This is the God, brothers and sisters, this is the God who loves to hear you pray. Who invites you 
to pray, to offer your life to him, to lay your burdens before him, to go with him with, to him with your greatest requests. God loves to hear your prayers. This is the one who wants you to come to him in your need and in your shame and in your despair and in all the things you find yourself in in this life. I want you to go to him. I want you to go to him even when you've been the thief who's stolen and you deserve to be on that cross because he cares and he can act and he can say today, You'll be with me in paradise. This one, this is the God who's there, who cares, and he's completely able. This is what we learn from just this simple invocation. Now, I'm going to end with a story. And I thought there's lots of stories that I could tell about God's ability and his His. Uh, care and the ways that he acts. And there's so many stories that could be shared. In fact, I know there's so many stories that could be shared within this congregation. And yet, I read this and I thought, this is a pretty cool story and it happens in Pennsylvania. Okay, so many of you know the name Tony Campolo. Um, he has quite a few great stories that I've told you about over the years. But um, he was speaking at this Pentecostal Bible college. And um, there was a prayer meeting before he was going to give his, his speech. And there were eight guys, he said, that invited him uh, to go into this back room that they would pray over him. And he said he was told to kneel down and, and all of them put their hands on his head, which he thought was a very kind gesture until the prayers just went on and on. And as happens, you know, when you, when you start getting tired, you start to lean. And he said all eight of these men's hands were leaning on him. And he was like exhausted while these guys were praying for him. Uh, and this is... This is actually, this is, this is what happened. Okay, see, he says, to make matters worse, one of the men wasn't even praying for me. He went on and on praying for someone named Charlie Stoltzfus, which is why I knew it happened in Pennsylvania. It's a total Dutch name. And this guy, uh, so one of the guys praying over, Tony is praying and said for Charlie, and he says, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road, on the right-hand side. And Tony's thinking, why, God knows where he lives. You don't need to give the directions in your prayer. Let's just, like, keep going with this prayer, guy. And then the man goes on to say, Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God, and bring that family back together. So in the middle of this long prayer where, like, all these guys are leaning on Tony's head, um, this, this whole prayer about Charlie Stoltzfus happens. Stoltzfus. I'm not totally sure. Um, and then, so Tony goes and he gives his uh, lecture at this Pentecostal Bible College, his message, and he goes to drive home. And he gets on the turnpike, the Pennsylvania turnpike, and there's a hitchhiker on the turnpike. And he's like, I'm, this is not safe. I'm going to pull over. I'm going to pick this guy up. So, he picks him up, and he's, they're driving a few minutes, and Tony goes, hey, uh, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? And the guy goes, Charlie Stoltzfus. And, he go, and Tony gets off at the next exit and turns around, and the guy's like, what are you doing? I was going that way. Why are you going back this way? And um, yeah, he says, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Well, he gets off at this exit, and he takes this right, 
and he pulls into this trailer park and he says, I'm taking you home. And, he, and the guy goes, why? And he says, because you just left your wife and your three kids, right? And he says, that blew the guy away. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and what I read was he plasters himself against the car door, and he just looks at Tony the whole time. Like, and Tony drives him to the silver, you know, uh, mobile home, uh, silver trailer. And he says, uh, when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge, and he asked, how did you know that I lived here? And Tony says, God told me. And he says, I believe God did tell me. And he opened the, the trailer door. And the man's wife explained, you're back, you're back. And uh, he whispered something into his wife's ears. And they talked. And then Tony says, I wanna, uh, the two of you need to sit down. I'm going to talk to you. And you are going to listen. And they're like, okay. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> And then right there, they became Christians. And they were still married when he wrote this. And I mean, I read that. I read that and I was like, that's a story that needs to be told because it's so beautiful. But, the, but my point, brothers and sisters, is this. The Lord does care immensely. And his ability really is actually totally beyond what we can possibly imagine. And some of you know that so intimately. And some of, some of you are probably doubting that completely. But the invitation in the Lord's Prayer, and simply this, in, this little invocation, our Father in heaven, is this reality. That the Lord does care. His love for you is perfect. And beyond that, his ability is far beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And that is why we pray. That's it. That's at the very heart of it. Because God is your father who looks on you as though he looks on Jesus himself. And his ability is beyond anything you could imagine. He raised Jesus from the dead. And he will give life to you also. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that we would be a praying people. And that we wouldn't be a praying people because we think it's just some magic incantation. Or because we want others to look at us. Uh, but because you are our Father and you love us, and your ability is beyond anything we can imagine. Lord, we're thankful, we're so grateful that you invite us to call you Father. That Jesus shows us the intimate love of his Heavenly Father, and that that same intimate love is for us. Jesus, move in us in this, in this way. Uh, I pray that we would just be in awe, Lord of that kind of love that you have for us. And that we would find it our great joy and our great delight to lay our lives before you and to see you act. In Jesus' name we pray this, O oh, our Father in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.